Hi, everybody. Welcome to the poetry space. Today, the pressure is on because I have this feeling that I kind of have to be funny. <laughs> I don't know if I'm totally going to be able to pull it off, but I feel a lot more comfortable seeing friends all in the room who kindly will laugh silently at their computers, even if I'm not actually humorous. Hi, Tim. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you doing, Katie? Doing great. And I'm really excited to get into this. And as promised, I have to say, as I tweeted out, that I would start and open up the space by picking a winner from everybody who kindly tweeted a joke to me. And the winner is in this room, believe it or not, or in this space, I should say more specifically right now, uh, which is Dick Westheimer who tweeted, what is a simile? It's like a metaphor. So that was my favorite <laughs> joke. Thanks to Dick Westheimer for tweeting that one to me. And I will be sending you an NFT poem to your Tezos wallet soon. Yeah, that's a great joke. I liked a lot of the uh, poetry paste jokes that we got. Um, that was a good one, especially. Let's start out with a, a opening poem. And uh, this one uh, is one of my favorite poets. Mike White's a, a master of the short form. And this was our tribute to humor issue that we did at Rattle. And uh, maybe because I, uh, I did spend one semester grading freshman essays as, an, as a master's student there. Um, this one just cracks me up every time I think about it, though. This is a uh, Mike White, the freshman essay in a new verse translation. The question one will argue in this essay is, what is a cannibal? You are so wrong if you said a kind of animal. Fact, they are not like a, a dark stranger. Fact, they are much in danger. Maybe you think just because you are you, you would not do what they do. Well, think again, civilized man and or woman. Plane crash must eat frozen dead co-pilot proves ordinary people can. Let us now consider the state of nature, a spot of time when toil-free work and whoremongering made life richer. Another point is what is so gross anyway about people meat. One went to Chinatown one time and saw chicken feet. In conclusion, we are too full of ourselves here in the West. Can you let me know if the last day to drop this class has passed? <laughs> I just love that. That's Mike White, uh, the freshman essay in a new verse translation. Um, a lot of a lot of funny poems in Rattle, although the humor issue is a very, very tough one to put together, it turns out. Yeah, so that was issue 33, right, when you decided to do that. What inspired you to do the humor issue for Rattle? I think just because poems are not that funny. <laughs> and, and the biggest complaint we've always gotten in Rattle is that uh, the poems are too dark. Because as we talked about in this space before, you know, poems are oftentimes trying to work through some kind of psychological issues or complicated thoughts and things like that people are having. And uh, it leads to, to a, there's a tendency to have poems that go to sort of dark places because of that. And uh, we could always use more light as uh, Melissa's here. Uh, Melissa Balmain is editor of Light Magazine, which I always love because uh, they focus on light verse and, and light poetry, but there really is a shortage of it. And so we try to put together an issue uh, for humor and it, it was tough, like so many poems that, that you know, people think are funny and, and maybe, you know, they are if they read them out loud. But when you're just reading through submissions or through a magazine, looking at squiggles on a piece of paper, uh, you know, the humor doesn't always jump off the page. And it's tough to, to actually get that across with the limited sort of minimalistic means a poetry has to uh, to share what it's it's saying. Yeah, I think it definitely takes, you know, it takes an amount of chutzpah, I think we can say, to, to feel like you can be humorous at a poem. And yet, I find if, if I set out to write a poem that's funny, like, there's no way it's going to be funny. 
you know, it's really necessary that it just comes up organically, I think is, is fair to say. And Melissa, we're really happy you're here. I sent you an invite to speak if you'd like to come up and we'd love to hear your thoughts too. Yeah, the interesting thing I was gonna to say too about, about poetry, that there's this weird irony and that a poem on a piece of paper or on a, on a web page or computer screen or wherever you're just reading it yourself in a room, it's like the hardest place in the world to be funny. But then the irony is that in a poetry reading, it's the easiest place in the world to be funny because there's this, you know, you're growing up on stage, no one knows what to expect. There's this weird sort of like tension in the room because people know that there's gonna be some kind of emotional feeling being expressed here, but they don't know what it is. So there's this like, you know, this this mood that's like waiting for something you know, funny to happen. And so it's sort of easy to go up there and sort of be like a stand-up comic and, and anything you say is almost automatically funny. But then when you get back to the page, it's so hard to translate. And so, um, you know, that's one of the things I always think about with humor is that, you know, because of the the limitations of the medium we have, there's there's it's a difficult thing to do. It's a difficult thing to have the punchline because so much of humor is in the inflection of your voice and your body language and your posture and, and the way you're speaking, the accents and, and inflections you're using. And we don't get any of that as poets. We only get the words, which makes it really challenging. Yeah, that's definitely true. And I believe like too, with my recent experience trying to, to branch out and go to poetry readings, there is an inherent humor in getting up there and bearing your soul you know, to, to people that, at least for me, you know, one of the readings I went to in, in DC, I knew literally nobody in there. And that was an experience too. Um, but people are primed to laugh. And I think people, you know, there should be more humorous poetry out there. So I'm glad. And one of these people putting more humorous poems out into the world is Doodle Slice, who has his hands up. And um, we talked a lot with Doodle Slice in our episode about first love. So it was episode three. Now we're on episode 18. So we've been doing this for a little bit already. But I'd love to hear from you, Doodle Slice, on your thoughts on humor and poetry. Yeah, so I've got a, a few. Um, first off, uh, I think one of the things that makes the difference, you know, in person versus on the page is no matter how carefully you craft your spacing and punctuation, you're not in control of the timing of how someone reads it when you're up on stage. You do get that delivery uh, opportunity. But then, you know, humor, like it's so easy to kind of think of that as just like one flavor uh, but you know, there's, there's light humor, there's satire, there's, you know, political humor, there's, uh, you know, stuff that's trying to make someone laugh out loud. And then there's something that's just, you know, trying to bring a smile. And, and so there's that just deep range of humor. And, and I think, I don't know, this is maybe a, a, a bias of mine, but I, I feel like a lot of younger poets coming into the scene, they feel like they have to go either into their personal pain and trauma or, you know, commentary on the political situation in the world. And, and those are all really important and, and great sources of poetic power. But I, I think they, they think that it's not, it's not okay to be light and have fun. And I think they miss the opportunity that you can slip ideas in sometimes when, you know, someone's not expecting it. If if you throw a little little humor in, it's it's a great uh, uh, you know way of bringing someone's armor down. And and you know, I, comedians know that for sure. So, 
Yeah, that's definitely very true. And I think that you gave us an awesome segue right into Melissa Ballman, who I think is now a speaker and is the editor of Light Poetry Magazine. So I would love to hear from Melissa. I was reading some of your latest issue this morning that you kindly tweeted to me, and it's hilarious. And it's just so nice to read poetry that's uplifting also. I am so glad you've been enjoying it. Um, it it's, uh, yeah, it's a really fun issue. Um, and um, I, I'm delighted to be part of this conversation. I totally agree with what you were saying, Doodle Slice, about poetry being, you know, light verse being a great way to slip in something hard hitting, you know, that whole spoonful of sugar thing, um, helping the medicine go down. Um, and I, I, I'm a, a definitely a fan of poems that are funny all the way through. That's most of what we try to publish, um, but it doesn't mean that they're not necessarily about serious things. Melissa, can you talk a little, little bit about how you um, came to edit Light? Because I think you didn't found it, right? You came in right. like halfway through. Yeah. What was it that drew you to, to Light Poetry? And, and why did you want to focus on that with your own sort of editing? You know, I mean, editing something is what you give back to the community, really. And what you're giving back is light, light poetry. So, <laughs> so what made you want to do that instead of other options that you could pursue? Um, well, yes, people were banging down my door to edit all sorts of poetry journals. Um, no, um, <laughs> uh, I, I had been a fan of light uh, almost since its inception, which was in 1992, and began submitting my own work there in the late 90s. And, um, you know, at, at some point, uh, John Mello, who was the founding editor, asked me if I would be interested in taking over when he stepped down. And that was the beginning of a conversation that we never really finished. Um, he died unexpectedly in his um, early 70s. And it became clear that basically, if I didn't step up, it might go under. Um, it was it had reached a point where it was running out of money. And um, there wasn't really I'll, I'll, you know, it's a big undertaking. So there weren't a lot of people clamoring to to do that. It's a volunteer operation. We're all volunteers now. Um, that wasn't always the case, but it has been since I've been the editor. Um, so it's a lot of people, you know, the managing editor, the contributing editors, our book reviewer and I are all volunteers, um, our web advisor. Um, and of course, all you fabulous poets who appear in light um, you know, it's it's um, it's a labor of love, and that is the main reason. Is I love comic poetry. I love reading it. I love writing it, and I want to make sure that there's more of it in the world. And uh, and so, can you talk a little bit about um, how how humor works on the page? Because there's a way. Um, you know, it used to be. Didn't it be? It used to be light verse, right? And now it's just light, so it's a little more open to um, to things that aren't formal. Am I, am I right about that? Well, so light versus one of these squishy terms, as you know, mm -hmm. um, yeah. it means different things to different people. Some people you say light verse and they think, oh, limericks, that's all they think of. Um, and other people think that it means it's verse, um, as we were sort of discussing a couple of minutes ago, that is only about insubstantial things or, um, you know, isn't trying to make a serious point. And that is some some light verse is just there to be silly. And I'm, I'm a fan of silly verse, but I'm also a big fan of 
of light first, AKA comic first, that is about um, serious things, hard things. Um, so we have, we have a pretty big tent, um, I would say at light. So we are open to um, formal verse. I mean, I think the tools at a formal, at a formalist disposal really lend themselves to humor um, because meter and rhyme make things more memorable. They help them kind of gallop along or jump along on the page in a way that's very brain pleasing. Um, and I guess engages with whatever parts of our brain are receptive to humor. Um, and so sort of, you know, you were asking how it can work on the page. I think um, it, a lot of what comics, you know, I teach humor writing classes at the University of Rochester. And part of what I do there is I often show clips of stand-ups or people who engage in humor um, in other ways off the page, you know, sitcoms, movies, et cetera, because there are certain certain tools that are available to humorists of all stripes um, that work on the page as well as on the stage. So, you know, for example, staying true to whatever perspective or voice you're writing in, right? Staying true to their vocabulary and their point of view, saying something that's true about human nature or society or what have you. Um, but then, of course, it's true that on stage, you, you can do funny voices, you can do dramatic pauses, um, you can move around, people can see your gestures, can't do that on the page. So then things come in like, you know, uh, punctuation that's done in an artful way, capitalization, the way that you break your lines or in jam from one line to the next. Um, and again, the meter you know, you get a very different effect from a poem, you know, that's formalist, um, that is in, uh, you know, like iambic meter versus anapestic meter, you know, like an, like a limerick, da, 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 da. Um, but all that said, we also are open to free verse that doesn't overtly use meter and rhyme. And, you know, we have, for example, a really funny poem in our new issue, um, from Joe Medeiros. I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. Um, he was the head writer for The Tonight Show for 17 years. And his poem um, does another really important thing um, that humor on the page needs to do. It doesn't waste words. It's not full of flab. We don't want readers to get to the punchline um, before we get them there. And, um, if you're writing in a lean way that will help. Um, so his, his poem, even though it's not using meter and rhyme, is very well paced and, you know, hits the punchlines in just the right place. Yeah. It's interesting, uh, the, the, about the, the meter and rhyme. So much of comedy is about expectations, setting up an expectation and then subverting that expectation. And so uh -huh. since, you know, what formal poetry does the whole way through is setting up expectation. I think that's, that's why it lends itself to humor writing in general is that you can, yes. you know, set up something for somebody. It has a structure of a setup and punchline that you can deploy pretty easily. Uh, whereas, you know, with free verse, you don't know what's coming. And so you can't uh -huh. have that, that sense of expectation where, you know, some rhyme is coming and then it's not the rhyme you thought. It's a funny <laughs> rhyme, but, you know, so I think that's one of the reasons uh, it works really well too. And then I was looking through our humor issue and, um, and and other poems I just over the years of rattle I thought were funny. And so mm -hmm. often it's also getting a voice on the page. 
Uh, <laughs> even though it's just a, you don't get to listen along. Something like um, Karina McGlynn's My Third 9 a.m. Appointment with the University's Writer in Residence, mm-hmm. where he's, he's ta- she's talking to this, uh, you know, full of himself professor, and she just gets the voice so in tune that even though you can't, you know, hear her performing it, if you're just reading the poem, you still hear the professor's voice in your head. And, uh, and that's really, so it sort of finds a way to get those components of, of stand-up comedy onto the page. So I think yeah. those are the, the two things that stood out most looking back through some of the poems I liked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a really good point. Yeah, um, and that's a fun poem. I think here, too, I want to put you on the spot, Tim, and make you read your poem that was in light. It feels (laughs) too appropriate. It lands the punchlines. It's metered. I think we need to hear your poem. (laughs) I agree. (laughs) Okay. Well, my poem in light, and I wish I knew you were doing the free verse. I would have said a couple more than... Oh, I think I just said two in the submission. It just has to be funny. It just has to be funny. (laughs) Okay, so um, my poem was... Where is it? Hang on one second. I have to pull it up, Katie. Sorry. Wow, I really did put you on the spot. I'm sorry. You did. You know, I should give, well, while you're pulling that up, I should give <laughs> Melissa a heads up because, Melissa, I would love for you to then read your Poets Respond poem that was in Rattle last summer. Um, so I don't know if you have that handy, but Caught in the Web, which I remember coming out last summer and I love as a poem. Too. Oh, and that you. I believe that's in free verse, right? So then we can have like... It's actually... Like, it's actually not in free verse. It's a sonnet. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm so embarrassed that I missed that. I'm like, I love a sonnet. <laughs> That's okay. But it's a compliment too, because one of one of my goals writing free verse, I'm just talking while Tim, you pull up your poem, but one of my goals writing formal verse is to not make it sound stilted and old school. I want it to sound like modern language as much as possible um, while still having those you know, the kind of catchy meter and the surprise of of rhyme and so forth. Um, But yeah, that's a compliment to me that you didn't necessarily remember that, oh, this was in form. Well, that's great. It's a great poem. So I think, and also too, the difference between these two poems, they're both excellent, um, but they're pretty far apart from each other too, in a lot of ways. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, Well, I have uh, this poem here. It's it's short, so we'll get through it quick. This is a how to apologize like you really mean it, which was an actual NPR headline. Uh, and they were giving advice for um, how to make your apologies seem sincere, which which seemed, um, I don't know, it was just funny to me to read that as a headline. So so I turned their advice into a little poem. So it's kind of a Poets Respond poem too, getting back to the news poems topic of this week. This is how to apologize like you really mean it. Actual NPR headline later edited, which they did, they realized uh, <laughs> it was a bad title. Anyway, it helps, of course, to really mean it. But if you merely need to seem it, then keep in mind that less is more. Leave all your butts tucked in their drawer. Be real. Don't primp and puff and preen it. An apology is like a door once closed. There's nothing in between it. It helps, of course, to really mean it. So we have the rhyme and the repetition there. And uh, it, 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 it does help to actually mean it when you're apologizing, I've found. I love that poem. Yeah, yeah, I you love... read yours, um, Oh, yeah. Why, thank you. Um, well, mine was, as you, as you know, Tim, um, uh, written in response to those dazzling um, photos that came out last summer from the Webb Telescope. Um, so it begins with an epigraph, uh, a quote from NASA's Webb Telescope Twitter account. 
which says, if you held a grain of sand up to the sky at arm's length, that tiny speck is the size of Webb's view in this image. Imagine galaxies galore within a grain. Um, and then the poem is titled Caught in the Web. My morning newsfeed teems with shots of space, bright slopes and swirls of russet and vermilion that shelter hidden planets by the billion. Soon, soon, my puny brain will try to face the likelihood that everything I do is just a blip of no more real importance than goings on atop that speck of Hortons in Dr. Seuss's book, that I'm a who, and there's no God who gives a flip for me or anybody else as we're revolving among the other galaxies that hurdle all dreaming, planning, acting pointlessly. Soon, soon I'll face this. Once I finish solving, ta-da, I did it. Spelling bee and wordle. And that that's it. <laughs> yeah, that's a great poem. I just Thank love uh, going to, to the light verse. I just, it's such a refreshing thing when we get a, you know, especially a poetry response submission because everybody expecting something, you know, about, as we talked about last week about talking about news poems, everyone's expecting a sort of dark, you know, angry reflection of all the terrible news that's going on. And then when you get something light, it's so nice to switch that up. And it, it adds contrast too to the more, you know, emotionally charged poems that will publish to have, have poems that are lighter uh, and you never know quite what you're going to get, which is always my goal. I, I want every time you turn a page or flip a new poem open on Rattle to have something that, that you, you're surprised at seeing. And so it's so important to have that light poetry in there. I, I so agree. Um, you know, we, we do our uh, twice annual big fat issues. Um, but we also every week have these um poems of the week responding to the news and unlike rattle which will have a lot of really you know heart-rending poems mixed you know and and sometimes the funny stuff mixed in we're just going for the funny <laughs> and um you know so we and we started this um in 2017 um shortly after the inauguration of of a certain person and um poets were just clamoring for a chance to respond humorously to the news you know all the satir satirical poets all the humorous poets, like they needed a place to put that. Um, and so it's, I think, become, I, it, I, I can't even tell for sure how much it's boosted our readership, but many fold, you know, people really like reading stuff um, uh, that's very topical, that ties into the things they're thinking about right now. Yeah, it's such an addition to be able to have poets respond for us too. You know, the web traffic went up when we started doing that significantly. Mm -hmm. So I think that is the case. Mm -hmm. There's one more topic I wanted to introduce before we sort of open up to a wider discussion. I want your thoughts on this too. There's a great essay um, by Kay Ryan in poetry a few years back. Um, what's the essay called? I don't have it here. But um, it's just like a consideration of poetry or something like that. But mm -hmm. Kay Ryan makes the point that um, in the essay that, that, you know, if you're at a poetry reading and there's like a great poem, there's this kind of spontaneous like sigh that the audience <laughs> releases yeah. You know, they're just like, ah, yeah. and, and she makes the point that that is related um, to the ha in a, in a comedian because of, for, yeah. for the same reasons. Mm -hmm. that it's like making new connections mentally, subverting your expectations, um, changing like your worldview. It's that like 
that sense of, you know, agreement between the different hemispheres of the brain clicking in. And then we had this spontaneous, like emotional utterance that we can't really control. Like you can fake laugh, Mm -hmm. uh, but you can't, you can't like make, but you you can't stop laughing when something's actually funny. Yeah. And, um, and so there's some kind of like, like way that it's more bodily, you know, both of those reactions. And then, and then finally too, it's like, like ha and ah are like the same letters just transposed. <laughs> yeah. And so it's just such a fascinating comparison. And and it wasn't even the, the main point of, of Kay Ryan's essay, but I think about that all the time and, and how much how much what we're doing is so similar to, to what a stand-up comedian does. I listen to um the Joe Rogan podcast a lot, like every time he has a philosopher or a scientist. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what I modeled the Rattlecast after. So I because mm-hmm. I like that format. And so I listen uh, to, to his episodes a lot. And so they end up talking about comedy writing. And it's interesting how he talking about writing a stand-up bit is, is a similar, the same process as writing a poem where he doesn't exactly know what he's doing. He's trying to sort of come to terms with what, and that's what the comedians say too, that they're trying to sort of piece their way into some kind of surprise for themselves. And the yeah. surprise is that, ha, but in poetry, it's like the, ah, which is like a, a, a more, I don't know, a more, uh, a quieter version so, so have you thought about that at all, that comparison? Um, well, not not exactly, because I, I missed that Kay Ryan um, essay, which I'm going to have to go look for. Um, it sounds really good. Um, so, but yeah, it, it, certainly the laughter at the end of a comic poem, it is a form of release often. Uh, and I, I think, um, so maybe the ha is more like, you know, uh, not so much because you were moved necessarily, but because you were surprised uh, and delighted, hopefully. Um, although I do think that comic poems, like so-called serious poems, um, can get you to think about things differently. Um, so uh, that I, I, I love that. I love the idea that the ha and the ah are closely related. That's really fun. Yeah. So do you want to, uh, before before we move on, is there a, a certain poem that you could read from light verse that you, that you um, like in particular? You sent me the, the Florida, uh, the Florida yeah. woman poem. Do you want to read maybe one of those? Sure. So, okay, I'll pull that up. So um, these, these are uh, a couple from our uh, poems of the week feature, the news-based poems. And um, Gail, the great uh, comic poet, Gail White, has kind of become the Boswell of Florida woman, not Florida man, but Florida woman and her various adventures. And so this is one that ran um, back in 2019. um, And it's uh, one of two poems uh, along similar lines. Um, So this was inspired by a real story. I'll read you the epigraph. Florida woman whips gator out of her pants when cops ask if she has, quote, anything else on her. (laughs) Um, And that appeared in Raw Story. So Gail White's poem is called Gator Aid, A-I-D. Gator Aid. When you've explored the local lakes to swipe some turtles, frogs, or snakes, and as you leave, abysmal luck, the cops arrive and stop your truck unearth your loot and bag the lot and ask you if that's all you've got. Don't leave protection up to chance. Keep a gator in your pants. A foot-long gator makes a nice female security device. Just make sure you win his trust before you hide him in your bust. Or ward off sexual attacks by taping him inside your slacks. 
before the villain can advance, whip that gator from your pants. Yeah, that's great. And I, uh, we all have it on mute, our microphones, but I literally heard Katie laughing from the other room. So. Yeah. <laughs> I love Thank you, Katie. (laughs) I'm from Florida originally, so I was born in Miami. So I just, I don't leave protection of the chance. Keep a gator in your pants. Oh my God, I got to text my mom this right after the space. We will be dying too. That's hilarious. (laughs) And and nice to see Florida woman represented after these, all these years of Florida man in the news. (laughs) Yes, yes, exactly. I mean, one of the things I love about that poem, um, speaking of, you know, being true to voices and stuff, um, uh, is that it's making fun of something ridiculous that someone did, but in a way that doesn't make us feel mean, that it's mean. And I think the way Gail White managed this is that she is supporting it. She's like, this is an excellent thing to be doing, right? (laughs) (laughs) You know, keep gators in your pants, as opposed to like making direct fun of this woman who did this thing that a lot of people would perceive as, you know, not being terribly bright, you know. Yeah, I guess I want to try it after, after, (laughs) I'm tempted next time I'm in Florida, you know. (laughs) Yes, yes, do this only with supervision. Only with supervision, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's an interesting uh, point too to talk about too. Is the um, the sense of making fun of someone versus being funny, and mm-hmm. and it's, it's something that we're so much more sensitive to with good reason now uh, mm-hmm. than we were maybe twenty years ago. And there was this concept for a while of punching up, mm-hmm. and we actually had um, a poem this weekend at Rattle. I don't know if you saw the Technicolor Coronation Day. And, no, um, I missed that because I was in transit from England. Oh, in yeah. fact, <laughs> oh, that's funny. But um, yeah, so we had it, so it was sort of sort of punching up a little bit at um, at, uh, the new king of England, King mm-hmm. Charles, and, uh, and and even that like was too um, you know a few people were were sort of offended by the mm-hmm. fact that, uh, that that it was making fun of anybody because Prince you know King Charles is a human being too, and so okay. calling him a bore is um, is kind of mean spirited, and it is actually. Um, yeah. So if you can't punch up to the king of England though. Maybe there's no even sense that you can punch up to anybody anymore. Is what yeah, I, was I mean, there's such a thing as becoming too gun shy. And, you know, humor depends to a large extent on not being too afraid to offend. I mean, I, I definitely don't believe in snark for snark's sake or meanness for meanness's sake. But yes, someone who's that public and powerful a figure um, is kind of fair game. But that said, like, there are certain things you might not want to make fun of even a powerful person for. For example, I'm not amused by poems making fun of Biden's speech impediment that I don't think he really has anymore. But, you know, he struggled with that. Um, and to me, that's that's not funny because it has nothing to do with his role um, politically. It's just a, a thing that, you know, he has no control over. Yeah, definitely. There, there are a lot of topics that there's this, it, it feels like gross to make fun of. And I think yeah. it's important to listen to that feeling. Yeah. And then, but, but do you find in the submissions, because um, even in Rattle, uh, you know, with the regular submissions that are, are for humor, we get a lot of, um, a lot of submissions that are, that are actually offensive in like a mean way. Mm-hmm. And like a, and do you, I, I assume you get even more of that, but, but for us, it's like, <laughs> it's a good number of submissions where you're just like, oh God, I can't believe like, like somebody their brain goes that way, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, we, we definitely do get, um, poems like that. Um, 
And, you know, when something is, when meanness is the main point of a poem, humor tends to go out the window. And I say that, you know, we get, we, we publish a lot of stuff that's inspired by um, political news items, right? Um, and we are open to poems from any part of the political spectrum, um, but not if it's just mainly about being mean to somebody. So there has to be a reason if, if it's critical, there has to be a reason for it other than this person's fat or, you know, this person's old or whatever, um, you know, and, and speaking of old, like there are so many um, realms of, of writing that are now pretty much considered off the table. Like we would not want to publish something, right. That's racist or sexist, et cetera. And yet ageist, people still feel like that's fair game. And it often feels very mean spirited in a way that's kind of pointless. Yeah, that's a really good point. I, I thought about that a lot, reading back through all the Shel Silver scenes with my daughter now and how some of the poems that I, when I read as a kid in the nineties, like I would not have thought of as being offensive. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, some of them are mean spirited. So I just kind of like skip that page when we get to it with my daughter this time around. Yeah, kind of, yeah. I still love Shel Silverstein's poems oh, overall yeah. and everything, but I wonder if they've yeah. been written today, if if they would have, you know, there's like an edge of, of slight mean-spiritedness to, to just mm -hmm. some of them, you know, and yeah. how if he would have written differently, I like to think, um, if he was writing them today. Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, of course, then, you, you know, um, there's been the whole bowlerizing of writers like Roald Dahl, who certainly had a big edge to him. Um, and, and a lot of his humor was riding on that knife edge. And even though we wouldn't have the same approach he has today, maybe to me to go back in and like change his wording to soften it or even change his meaning, like that's not a good idea. It's, it's, you know, in some way it's a, it's a, it's a writing that comes from its time. So to go in and say, well, now we're going to rewrite this. And he didn't really say this about witches or whatever. He's, we're going to say that he said that instead, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, that's a really scary, slippery slope to me. I mean, how many of us would like to think that, you know, after we're gone, someone's going to slide into our poems and then start replacing all kinds of stuff? Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Everything should be allowed to evolve. And if we can't look back at what it was before, then we can't see the process of evolution, even in humor, I think. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Definitely. So I think that at this point, too, we should open it up and hear from some speakers that we haven't. And I think that we should start with Mark Fitzpatrick because it was his idea to do a space on humor. So Cries is a great poet. He also has NFT poetry as well. And is a fan of humor in general because he's always making me laugh um, as I see some hilarious reply and then have to like tell everybody about like, hey, look at this reply crisis made it made me laugh again. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, Mark. Yeah, I think my thoughts are kind of along the lines of the uh, that succession. I know I speak in meme terms a lot, but that succession meme that went around where it's the patriarch where he's sitting down, he's like, I love you, but you are not serious people. And I, I kind of like when I think of funny poetry, I think, yeah, thank God we're not serious people, like people who enjoy poetry with a bit of humor. It's um, it's kind of like when I read a, a poet that like across their work, if there's like a thread of seriousness with no break, I kind of have a bit of a, 
um, start to lose interest in their their body of work, um, even if it's amazing. It's just at some point I'm like, there's a missing ingredient where if there's a poet that I really love and they've got a lot of kind of serious topics they're covering, but every once in a while they just give you like a bit of a gut shot with, you know, a little dose of humor or they're just, you know, they, they're able to kind of traverse that line back and forth more fluidly. I think it just kind of captures the you know, the totality of the human condition a little bit better. It's, it's kind of like Melissa's poem where she talked about the, um, you know, the indifferent universe and, but, you know, I'm going to do my wordle anyway, because, you know, why the hell not? It's, it's kind of, you know, that to me, you know, those are my people, like people that kind of can be serious and can kind of see what, you know, our condition as it stands, but be able to step back from it and not be so self-serious. So I think that's kind of my take on, uh, on humor and poetry. It's, it's desperately needed. We need more of it in my opinion. And I, I can't get enough of it. I, I just love it. Well, I'm glad you feel that way too. And I would love it too. If you would read, you shared your poem, I believe it's called entwined and it has a punchy ending that I would love if you would share it now. Oh, sure. Yeah, that one was um, actually that's a, a good example of the can't be forced idea. Like I, I played with the idea of putting together a collection of funny poetry. But after writing four or five very unfunny poems, like trying to be funny, I'm like, no, that's not how this works. It's like it's just really got to be organic. And, and Entwine was a poem where, you know, I just labored and labored through, over this poem without the kind of, you know, little punchline at the end and it just wasn't working and then organically this little punchline came up i'm like oh that's that's just perfect so it was a very organic thing and um you know I, it seems like that's the magic it's like you can't force it to happen but when it happens it's you know a nice little surprise so so here's entwine to what can you be compared sparkling with love the lives within what could have come before but the light and heat of a cosmos born? Fingers entwine as we dance past midnight of an existence suspended by connection. Only in pinching myself does it become real. Though maybe pinching you works too. <laughs> Great. Thanks for sharing that, Mark. My pleasure. Sorry, I'm having a slight issue with my mic not going on when I'm clicking on for some reason, but I think I'm back on now. And let's see, too, because Doodle Slice, we didn't hear one of your poems yet. And I think that, you know, you're creating, you're using to the, you're adding images to make NFT poetry, you know, alongside of your humorous poems that really adds a lot and has, you know, I definitely have to admit, I think of you as being Michelle Silverstein of the NFT poetry space, if that's fair and meant as a complete compliment. So I'd love for you to share one of your poems too. Sure, I'd love to share one. Uh, it's, it's always hard to pick, but uh, in the interest of time, I'll pick up a shorter one that um, I think is a good example of using a little humor, but actually having an underlying message. Uh, it's called Daddy Was a Mummy. Daddy was a mummy wrapped in linens head to toe. Junior thought it funny how he groaned and walked so slow. All the other kids' pops would play softball and drink beer. But they would call the cops when the mummy shuffled near. A monster, they would shout with venom in their voices, because he walked about in his grave clothing choices. Three thousand years or more, he has rocked this sense of style. 
never thinking they'd abhor royal fashions of the Nile. Now I ask a query, who are the monsters truly? Mummies dressed so scary or men who shout unruly? <laughs> That's great. And what is the image? To this? Is that a poem that you have with an image? And if you tweet it at me, then I'll pin it to the top. I'm trying a new thing this space, guys, where I'm trying to pin it as people are talking. So I realize I'm not quite fast enough yet, <laughs> but I'll get there and I'm learning. I'm training for that marathon. Yeah, I, I can pop it into the comments while the conversation continues. <laughs> That's great, thanks. And then we also have Carla Schwartz with us today, who is also making NFT poetry. Look, Carla and I had telepathy because she put up her hand just as I was going to call on her. And you have a funny NFT poem called To the Toilet, I believe. Uh, yes, yes, thanks. Um, well, first of all, I want to make one comment that I don't think has been made yet in the conversation, which is I think that you can have humor in poetry, which does not have to be a punchline. I think you can have the humor in the middle of the poem and, and still talk about a serious topic as well. Um, okay, so after that comment, I'm going to read to you my NFT poem, which is a video NFT, and it's called To the Toilet. Toilet, new toilet, composting toilet, usurper of a behemoth, the fishing crate of the original Clivus Multrum, the big boxy, homeless throne that never made it into the tiny house where every square inch of its 128 square feet counts. What worse failure than to fail at toilet? And what would that mean? To sit and sit and sit and wait for the filling of the blank page while my mind wanders and the page remains pristine with overconscious embarrassment. And I think about a room, about constructing a room of my own cut of the cloth, whole cloth of the blank white sheet I tie with bands and loops, the tie-dyed pink medusa I pull from the washing machine cut and so as curtain, as wall, a room we might share, a rose haven for the waste. <laughs> okay, I have to ask how you had the idea to write that poem too, Carla. So that poem started as an ode. <laughs> and um, and uh, I spend uh, time uh, on a solar powered houseboat, which is a tiny house that has been craned onto a tritune boat. And the, the house itself is 128 square feet. And in 2015, we were nomads on Lake Champlain um, in this tiny houseboat. And uh, you needed to uh, have a composting toilet in order to achieve uh, that nomad life. And, um, and yet when we first got it, you know, it was a little scary. And um, and that's what inspired this poem, really. And um even though people feel like uh, they may need privacy in the bathroom, you know, you're in this one room house. Um, I decided, and we sometimes have guests in there too, uh, that I would make a curtain to construct this room in this little corner where the toilet sits and, um, and I tie dyed it. And so that's the whole thing. 
I love that and the detail that you tie-dyed the curtain around the toilet is particularly fascinating to me as a fan of tie-dye. <laughs> well, that was really neat. And then I think too, so we have, we have two other speakers that we haven't heard from um, that I'd love to just get their overarching opinions too on humor. Um, why don't we start with you, Joe Barca? Sure. Um, I guess I'll start with the story that my father was a great joke teller and um, as a child and a young adult, I tried to tell jokes and I was really terrible at it. So my humor, whether it's talking or writing, is always organic and it sort of has to come naturally or I don't even bother. So that's just my general thought. And I also think that, that you know, you can make me laugh, but you can also make me smile. And so a poem doesn't even have to be humorous primarily, but it can be humorous secondarily as well. So those are my couple of thoughts, Katie. Yeah, I totally agree. And one thing I was thinking about too with Carla, how you were talking about humor and not having to be a punchline. I think one of the reasons why uh, Billy Collins is one of the most famous poets is probably in part because he uses humor, like light humor as an entry into his poems that you know most of them go somewhere much deeper. And I find him to be one of the absolute funniest poets, even though it's rarely a punchline type type of poetry. It's um, it opens your mind getting into a jokey type. Why is this weird thing? You know, it's almost like a, a Seinfeld stand-up. Well, this is like this, you know, and, and then suddenly you're drawn into the poem and you've gone somewhere deeper without even realizing you have in a lot of ways. Yeah, you know, I was thinking about, you know, this this episode of the, the poetry space in our issue of Rattle, the humor issue. And I remember it in my head as being so hard to fill that issue. And, and now looking back on it, you know, 15 years later, and, and talking about it, stuff here and thinking about it over the last week, I think maybe the issue is just that the expectations are set up too high. Like you're trying to have every poem be like riproriously funny. And, and really there is this whole range of humor that goes from like amusement to, to just a sense of like joy and, and that kind of spontaneous joy to actually laugh out loud funny stuff. And it's really so much more nuanced than just like jokes at a comedy club, you know? That's a good point. I have to say, this makes me think very heavily of the movie Finding Nemo and how the clownfish is always expected to tell a joke because he's a clownfish and how I feel like, write me a funny poem. And it's like, oh, God, that's like so much pressure. It's so much harder than like, write me a poem that will make you cry or something. It's so much more difficult. Yeah, it really is. Um, and I remember, too, that reminds me of um, uh, uh, T.C. Boyle as a, as a fiction writer. And uh, he, we, I went to a reading of his and he said, I'm going to write a story that's going to make you laugh. And then I'm going to read another story that's going to make you cry. And, uh, and because they both worked, uh, that was the best literary reading I've ever been to. Um, and, uh, and, and there is this whole contrast between the two in a whole range of ways that we can go about it. And uh, yeah, a clownfish, <laughs> that's a great metaphor from uh, Fadi Nemo. I always feel so nervous getting up at a poetry reading and saying I'm going to, or any, uh, just a literary reading and saying, I'm going to make you laugh, but I'm going to make you cry. Like that is like a Babe Ruth calling the Homer situation. It really was. The boldness of that is what made it work. And then he's, you know, got his red shoes. And so uh, it worked perfectly. Well, the red shoes, I mean, you can't go wrong with red shoes, I think. You know, I'd love to, to Tim, to hear, you know, with you speaking funny poetry and having done the issue, I'd love for you to read another one of the poems that you kindly made the thread about um, so we can look at another humorous poem. Yeah, sure. Um, let's see. Well, um, 
this one, I don't know. I'm not a good performer of these poems, so I'm not sure if I'm the best one to read it. And I don't want to, uh, the, the problem with the slam poets is that they actually have their uh, CDs out. And so they end up being copyrighted. I don't want to ruin that for our podcast. But, uh, but I'll read, uh, this is my favorite poem from the slam issue. And everybody should go there and read actually Jeremy Richards' performance of this. But there are a bunch of funny ones, including the Karina McGlynn poem I mentioned. Um, uh, there's the the MCAS poem by, um, oh, what's his name? Um, anyway, there's a bunch of funny poems in that in that one too. But this is a T.S. Eliot's Lost Hip Hop Poem. And um, I think this is so clever and the way he reads it is so good, but I'll just try to read it kind of straight because I can't, I can't, uh, I can't do the actual comedic voices that he does. But uh, this is T.S. Eliot's Lost Hip Hop Poem. Let us roll then, you and I, the evening stretched out against the sky like a punk ass I laid out with my fat rhymes. The eternal footman is no one to fuck with. Alas, he shall bring the ruckus. You think that you can step to this and lo, I hear your steps like Lazarus echoing through my soul. Bring the bass straight out of Missouri, Harvard University in your face. I've got ladies in waiting all over the place singing each to each. Do I dare eat a peach? You're damn right I'll eat a peach. Who shall stop me with my proof rock, hip hop, nonstop, clippy clop, clippy clop. I hear the horses carrying the sailors. I'm ready to impale their ears with my rhymes, rolling off of my parched tongue the way trousers roll off my ankles. I get it done better than John Dunn. Pound for pound like Ezra Pound. No other literati around can confound the post-Victorian quickness I bring to the microphone, though I shall die alone. But not before I rock the house. Watch me douse you in my eternal flames of a freaky-ass style. My crew has the flow with European tangent. Kovash outset sechos, the Russian for who's your daddy now? For I will tell you that I have scuttled across the floors of ancient clubs, and yea, knowing that you may never return, I will tell you this, that I have been over to a friend's house for dinner, and lo, the food was not any good. The macaroni, soggy. The peas, mushy, and the chicken tasted of wood, like the wooden coffin I've created for myself. If this is going to be that kind of party, I will stuff my desire in the mashed potatoes. But I tell no lie. I will show you fear in a handful of hip-hop, making your body rock, your soul shudder, your utter disbelief when the old school, the ancient school, returns from the dusty book covers and scorn lovers to raid again on the open poetry mic. Bring the pathos, bring the pathos. You want to be MCs, just can't stop till human voices wake us and we back the fuck up into eternity. And then as uh, T.S. Eliot's lost hip-hop poem found somewhere in the archives by uh, Jeremy Richards. <laughs> Could you hear me laughing in the next room with my mic muted? I hope you can. <laughs> I was too focused on trying not to screw the poem up, so I... <laughs> you did great. Else. You did great. No, I was saying, was too, that, like, <laughs> if I was a, if I was a chef, I think I would make my Twitter bio a quote from there and, and just say I will stuff my desire in the mashed potatoes. <laughs> I really hope that, that every great. time I make mashed potatoes from now on, I just think about uh, that line. That poem is hilarious, and your reading was great. You're way too hard on yourself. <laughs> well, Jeremy Richard, I mean, he's actually a performer, so he does much better. People should go listen to it. Uh, I think it's pinned. <laughs> And then, Mark, you also shared a poem, Mark Fitzpatrick, you shared a Pocket by Matthew Pruder. That was a funny one that you tweeted to me earlier that I was hoping that I could get you to read, too. Yeah, I'd love to. That's um, So this is Pocket by Matthew Zapruder, who's one of my favorite poets as far as being clever and amusing and um, 
Uh, this is from his book, Come On All You Ghosts, I think it's called. Uh, he also wrote a great book called Why Poetry that I, I highly recommend. Um, so yeah, so this is Pocket, and I think it's it's a great example of a poem that it goes from the ha to the ah, so it's kind of like this is a good example of of a poem that could have been like just a stand-up bit, but actually becomes a poem through its kind of journey to the end. So here's Pocket. I like the word Pocket. It sounds a little safely dangerous, like knowing you once bought a headlamp in case the lights go out in a catastrophe. You will put it on your head, and your hands will still be free. Or standing in a forest and staring at a picture in a plant book while eating scary-looking wildflowers. Saying pocket makes me feel potentially, but not yet busy. I'm getting ready to have important thoughts. I am thinking about my pocket, which has its own particular geology. Maybe you know what I mean? I mean, it, I basically know what's in there and can even list the items, but also there are other bits and pieces made of stuff that might not even have a name. Only a scientist could figure it out. And why would a scientist do that? He or she should be curing brain diseases or making sure that asteroid doesn't hit us. Look out, scientists. Today, the unemployment rate is 9.4%. I have no idea what that means. I tried to think about it harder for a while, then tried standing in an actual stance of mystery and not knowing towards the world, which is my job, as is staring at the backyard and for one second believing I am actually rising away from myself, which is maybe what I have in common right now with you. And now I am placing my hand on this very dusty table and brushing away the dust. And now I am looking away and thinking for the last time about my pocket. But this time I am thinking about as darkness, like the bottom of the sea. But without the blind, fluorescent creatures floating in a circle around the black box, which along with tremendous thunder and huge shards of metal from the airplane, sank down and settled here where it rests, cheerfully beeping. Definitely one of my favorite poems. Love that. Oh, that's great. Great reading of it, too. I feel like it's hard to believe you weren't the author on that one. But you <laughs> it like you clearly connected so deeply with it. That was great. Yeah. Definitely a like mind. I wish I had his talent, but uh, I'm content just to read his poetry. <laughs> well, everyone in the poetry space knows you're super talented. There's no debate on that subject for sure. All right, and it looks like Dick Westheimer has his hand up, so I'd love to hear your thoughts. Well, my first thought is this has just been a wonderful listen. I've really like enjoyed having some of my um, – Fun, serious, uh, my fundamentalist seriousness uh, tweaked a little bit by by this. And the other thing is, is uh, I didn't think about this until we got on. I love the humor in Rena Espelot's work in progress poem that Tim published a number of years ago. Uh, and for me, it's an example of the sort of humor that is more of a smile than a ha. Um, and I, I, I really admire that sort of touch where a poem just makes you grin a little bit as, as, as you're going through it. It's, it, it is a, uh, it, it's a bone that I would have to find somewhere in my body and excavate it to be able to do work like this. Well, that's very well said, I think, too. I mean, 
I just think too, it's, it's, I love that we've managed to differentiate between the funny, like punchline poetry, which for me does not naturally come as much as the sort of more irreverent aside um, type of humor. I definitely, I used to earlier on when I was writing poetry, if I felt my brain going in that direction for some bizarre reason, try to like squash it and bring it back. And instead when really it just it enriches things, I think all the more to, to sneak in something that's, that's light along with it makes it makes the deeper stuff so much easier to reach when you have something light in there too i think did you want me to read that poem katie and then uh and then maybe you could finish out with the uh the, the longer poem you had the billy collins that is a perfect idea i love that yes okay yeah so this is the arena ps that poem work in progress which i love too i i read it at the at the um critique of the week all the time because it is such an important thing it's such great advice that's in this poem so there's actually a, a great workshop um piece of meaning involved here which is to not get rid of all the articles and not trim back your poems so they don't feel like actual speech but uh, this is a sonnet i think it's a sonnet one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve thirty forty fifty no it's not a sonnet it's 16 lines maybe it's a 16er anyway this is a pina ps by uh, with some advice for your workshops he showed me some and asked for my advice. I pointed out a line that wouldn't scan, a pair of rhymes that cried out for a divorce and commented, but briefly, on the quotes and foreign alphabets unglossed. Of course, he said and nodded and took notes, as if okay with all of it. And then I added, put back every V and an and a. It's almost nothing what they do, but articles make what they say ring true. You never know what buttons not to touch, which almost nothing is going to prove too much. This morning he submitted work again, but brusque, defensive, with a hint of spice. Only fool goes for walk in minefield twice. Next time I'll tell him poem is very nice. <laughs> so that's uh, Rena's advice to uh, workshops. And, and actually to take advice, too, and, and listen to what people say. It's an important poem, but with a lot of humor in it, too. Yeah, I love that poem. I mean, the last line, it's hard to top that with how much it hits. Well, you want to read your, uh, close it up by reading your... Uh your uh, Billy Collins poem. Yeah, I just um, paused it because I was trying to get a drink of water because, you know, Tim, I think it's hilarious how I think every poem that's not a sonnet basically is long. Because when I say to you, like, I think I want to read this poem, but it's long, and it's really not that long. But to me, when you write 13-line poems, every poem kind of seems long. Yeah, it's definitely, a, I would not call it a long poem. We've done, uh, <laughs> we've done poems that are like 30 pages in rattle. So, uh, so that's what I think of as a long poem. And this one, you know, a hero crown is long. A, a two-pager by Billy Collins with short lines is not so much. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's fair. For me, though, it's a long poem. But anyway, what I love so much about this poem is that it starts out and sort of gets in the humor of things, like I'm saying Billy Collins does so much in his poetry. And then, to me, it really re reaches a sweet, sentimental place that if there wasn't the humor early, it would just be like, you know, an overly sappy whatever poem, which, hey, I like those too. I'm not going to lie. But I love how the, the process that it goes through to get there. So this is called Marginalia by Billy Collins. Sometimes the notes are ferocious, skirmishes against the author, raging along the borders of every page in tiny black script. If I could just get my hands on you, Kirkgaard or Connor Crusoe Brian, they seem to say, I would bolt the door and beat some logic into your head. Other comments are more offhand, dismissive, nonsense, please, huh, that kind of thing. 
I remember once looking up for my reading, my thumb as a bookmark, trying to imagine what the person must look like who wrote, don't be a ninny alongside a paragraph in the life of Emily Dickinson. Students are more modest, needing to only leave their splayed footprints along the shore of the page. One scrawls metaphor next to a stanza of Eliot's. Another notes the presence of irony 15 times outside the paragraphs of a modest proposal. Or they are fans who cheer from the empty bleachers, hands cupped around their mouths. Absolutely, they shout to Dunn Scottus and James Baldwin. Yes, bullseye, my man! Check marks, asterisks, and exclamation points rain down along the sidelines. And if you have managed to graduate from college with ever, without ever having written man versus nature in a margin, perhaps now is the time to take one step forward. We have all seized the white perimeter as our own and reached for a pen, if only to show we did not just laze in an armchair turning pages. We pressed a thought into the wayside, planted an impression along the verge. Even Irish monks hold their cold scriptoria jotted along the borders of the Gospels, brief asides about the pains of copying, a bird singing near the window, or the sunlight that illuminated their page, anonymous men catching a ride into the future on a vessel more lasting than themselves. And you have not read Joshua Reynolds, they say, until you have read him in wreath with Blake's furious scribbling. Yet the one I think of most often, the one that dangles for me like a locket, was written in the copy of Catcher in the Rye I borrowed from the local library one slow, hot summer. I was just beginning high school then, reading books on a Davenport in my parents' living room, and I cannot tell you how vastly my loneliness deepened, how poignant and amplified the world before me seemed when I found on one page a few greasy-looking smears and next to them, written in soft pencil, by a beautiful girl, I could tell, whom I would never meet, Pardon the egg salad stains, but I'm in love. So I also love that poem, and egg salad's pretty good, too. <laughs> so I saw that. A lot of food comedy going on, too. It's a nice, uh, a nice way to go. Yeah, especially because I haven't eaten yet, really, except for the banana. So I think the best part of it, too. I want to thank everybody uh, for coming to the space today. I really enjoyed our discussion, um, particularly... Melissa Ballman, for you coming from, uh, with very short notice, I have to say, too. We asked you, like, earlier today. It was so nice of you to come and share your thoughts. And um, my my whole process of humor, not even just in poetry, but everywhere, was, was deepened. So thanks to all the speakers and everybody who joined in. Yeah, thanks, Katie. It's been a lot of fun uh, doing this episode. And uh, it's one of those episodes I think we can go on and on for, for more. There's so many of those lately. How do you uh, tell everybody what is... Uh... Yeah, definitely. So next week, we are going to be looking at something we touched on conveniently this this week, which is we're going to be looking at slam poetry, which I'm going to be going to my first slam poetry contest in, let's see, two days, three days, Tim? Yeah, it's uh, it's the first poetry slam. The Wrightwood Poetry Slam is coming up on um, May 20th for anybody in the California area, but it's going to be Katie's first we have Joaquin Zihuatanejo, the World International Poetry Slam champion, and HBO Deaf Poet's going to be here. You're going to see some uh, professional poetry slamming and then some uh, people competing for the $500 prize. So we'll see what you think, what you th- think of uh, me hosting too, which is uh, <laughs> not the best, but we'll see how that goes. And you can, we'll talk about Poetry Slam and, and what it does for poetry. Okay, thanks you guys all so much for coming. Hope you have a humorous rest of your day and that you land on some joke that makes you laugh and then you think back to our space all. All right, thanks so much. Have a great day, guys. Bye.
Bye, everyone.